the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation today. <coughs> you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody here today. And uh, we've got... Uh, Mrs. Ayers with us this morning, and uh, Brother Mark and Miss Sandy got uh, married yesterday and uh, had a great service and great time there, and uh, looking forward to what God's going to do in their lives together, and uh, good to have Smitty and Ryan with us today, good to see you fellas, and uh, hopefully they're going to be moving back to the area here soon, amen, are we still hoping for that, praying for that, yeah, all right, and uh, but good to see them, good to see Brent and Fletcher back with us, and uh Feeling better, and uh, pray for Nita, their wi- uh, brother Brent's wife. Uh, still not feeling real good, I guess, today, and so pray for her, if you will. And uh, I don't mean to put him on the spot, but my friend Dave passed a major uh, milestone in his life this week and got his pilot's license. He had been praying about that and did his check right. Everything went well there. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. And uh, there's a lot of people praying the day he went for his test, I'll tell you. So God's been good. It's been a good week this week. We thank the Lord for it. And um, certainly a joy to be here this morning. We've had a great Sunday school hour already and uh, just have enjoyed what God is doing. Pray that God will continue to bless throughout the day as we uh, look into His Word and that God will bless it and use it. A um, couple of announcements very quickly. Uh, first of all, we have... Uh, in your bulletin, the next senior luncheon scheduled. If you'll take a moment to look in there, it's on November the 18th, I think. Is that correct? Do I have that in there? 18th? Do I have that right? Man, I'll tell you, a 51-year-old memory like a steel trap. A little rusty sometimes, but it's still there. So, all right. So that will be on November the 18th, so mark your calendars on that. And then uh, also the uh, men and boys camp out is on November uh, we were going to do the 5th and 6th, which was a Friday night and Saturday, but I think we're going to go, for those that want to go early, because some people were saying, well, we go down, we go to all that work to set up camp and then tear it down the next morning when we're getting ready to leave. Uh, I think some of us are going to try to go down on Thursday, uh, so that would be the 4th, 5th, and 6th. And uh, that way we can uh, set up camp and actually get a good day down there and then uh, break camp on uh, Saturday uh, about mid-morning or so. So uh, we'll do that from the 4th uh, through the 6th and make a note of that if you'd like to go. If you can't come on the 4th, that's fine. You can still come down on the 5th and enjoy the evening with us. I know some people have to work, and that's fine too. But uh, looking forward to a great time. We've done this now a few years, and uh, we just have a wonderful time of fellowship down there. It's just a, a wonderful, a good time. And uh, if, you, if you like camping, it is. If you don't like camping, the fellowship's good, but the camping would be miserable to you. <laughs> so, but uh, we're looking forward to a wonderful time together. And, uh, fellas, if you'll mark your calendars, we'll be glad to have you come down and be a part of that and looking forward to it. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing on the service this morning. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for 
your Word and how it teaches and instructs and guides us. And for your Holy Spirit uh, speaking to our hearts and teaching us and helping us to understand the truths of it. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless in the service uh, that we're in here, that you would help us to rightly divide and understand your Word, that we would uh, have the uh, help of your Holy Spirit uh, speaking in our hearts and guiding and directing our steps. And, uh, Father, we want to glorify you. We want to point people to you. And uh, the uh, urgency that there is in the day that we live to make sure that everyone has heard of uh, the gospel story and uh, how that they have a need of a Savior, uh, that they can just put their faith and trust in you and have forgiveness of their sin and everlasting life in heaven. And so, Father, help us to guide and direct the steps of folks through your word and through the leading of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Bucky. One twenty-four, lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed, guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. Let me, like Mary, through the gloom, come with a gift to Thee. Show to me now the empty tomb, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget Thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee. Even my cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Amen. All right, everybody, raise your arms up. Turn around, wave everybody. Welcome each other to the service. All right. I got everybody involved that time. That was great.
125. about changing the leper spot. You know, God has no desire at all in His heart to change the spots of a leopard. But what the author of that song was doing was he was comparing how impossible it is for a leopard to change his own spots and uh, to have the heart of a man that is regenerated by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sin, how impossible it is for a man to do that. But with God, all things are possible. Aren't you glad of that? I'm thankful that God, who is rich in mercy, uh, continued to love us even though we were sinners. So much so that He was willing to send His Son to die on the cross in our place and to forgive us for our sins and uh, pay the price that you and I really, the, the truth is, we couldn't pay it. For us to pay the price for our sin would mean that we would have to spend not just a little while, but we would have to spend an eternity in hell. That's what it would cost. And Jesus paid that for us. And if we'll put our faith in Him and trust Him to give us forgiveness, He said He will. And He'll forgive us that sin and give us a home in heaven for all of eternity. And I'm thankful we have a God like that. We were studying in Sunday school this morning in the children of Israel. 
were uh, coming to a, a place of confession and repenting and getting their hearts right with the Lord and revival taking place during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. And uh, we read in chapter 9 of Nehemiah this morning their, their prayer of confession. And uh, they spent 35 verses talking about how long-suffering God was, how the children of Israel had stiffened their hearts and their necks and had been rebellious to God. But God, who was rich in mercy, and God who continued to be long-suffering uh, for 40 years, He continued to guide them. He continued to deliver them from their oppressors. He continued uh, to supply their needs. And uh, I'm thankful that we have a God like that. And uh, the lesson that we learned this morning in Sunday school was this. Knowing the things that we know about God as His children, when we do sin, how much more horrible it is, I think, and how much more it grieves the heart of God than someone who doesn't know Him as their Savior. Because we understand the goodness of God. We understand the mercy of God, His greatness, His graciousness. And to willingly sin in spite of that and in the face of that, I believe, grieves the heart of God even more. And uh, so while we believe that God is a gracious God and we rejoice in that, we believe He's a merciful God, and we certainly rejoice in His mercy to us. The fact that He's given us eternal life. We're not to use that as an occasion to justify sinning. Just because we know that God forgives, just because we know that He forgives every time, we're not to go out here and sin lightly just because of that. And uh, well, what a lesson we learned this morning. I'll tell you, if you missed it, I think we recorded it, I believe, if you missed this morning, I would encourage you to get that. It'll help you in some things and, and perhaps cause us to live uh, a little more careful. We don't live uh, a life or try to live a life that is right in order to get saved. We live a life, try to live a life that is right because we want to please God. And because we are saved, because something is different inside of us. And... Uh, I'm thankful I'm not what I used to be. I'm, I'm not what I'm going to be. I hope that one day I'll be much more even than I am now. But I'm thankful God's been gracious. And uh, certainly has been a joy. Well, let's take our, Bi- our Bibles, if you will. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 6 to begin. And um, we're also going to be turning to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and find both places there. Ephesians chapter number 6. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Paul writes uh, to young Timothy, who's young in the faith. We uh, have heard Paul tell Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And we like to use that passage oftentimes in preaching to teenagers and young people. But the truth is, more than likely, Timothy was probably somewhere near 40 years of age at this point. Um, and so Paul is referring here, maybe not even as much uh, concerning his, his, um, his physical youth, although I believe that was part of what he was saying there, but perhaps even his youth spiritually, the fact that he was a fairly new Christian. Uh, Paul had uh, led him to the Lord and was his father in the faith. And Timothy, striving to do what every Christian ought to do, and that is to serve the Lord uh, with their life. Um, Paul tries to uh, mentor him and instruct him and guide him along the way. 
At the time that Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he's in Ephesus. Ephesus is going through some very trying times at this point. And uh, they're engaged in some great battles of temptation and things that Satan is trying to do in their church, in their midst. If you remember, Ephesus was the one in the book of Revelation that had left their first love. And uh, Paul certainly uh, understood the fact that the uh, church at Ephesus was going through some trials. They were going through some backsliding and some things that were happening in the church. And um, he, he writes to Timothy, as we get into chapter number 1 of 1 Timothy, and we'll go down to, uh, let's go to verse number 18. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. May you encourage us and strengthen us, guide us, and instruct us through your word. Help us to learn some things that will uh, cause us to be more of what we ought to be for you, to live in a life that is a life that is pleasing to you. So, Father, we ask that you would guide and direct. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. May we be yielded and submitted to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is engaged in some things, and I believe it affects uh, the phraseology and the terminology, the terms that he uses here, because he uses some military terms. And the charge that he gives to Timothy is uh, the idea like uh, a general would give orders to uh, his subordinates and uh, those that were beneath him, and to give him marching orders, and these are the things that he ought to do. And so Paul is charging Timothy with this sense, with this fervency of spirit, and he tells Timothy that uh, he says that uh, he is um, charging him to war a good warfare. Now, we read Scripture sometimes, and if we don't understand what Paul is speaking about here, we'll think, okay, well, what battle were they in? Were they fighting some foreign enemy that was trying to invade their country? Um, were they fighting some kind of political battle? And the answer to that, uh, we find all the way back in the book of Ephesians. Paul was at Ephesus at the time and dealing with this, and was even instructing uh, some people in Ephesus uh, when he wrote the letter to them. Let's look back to uh, um, Ephesians chapter number 6. And again, you'll see some of the terminology that Paul uses with regards to the situation that they were dealing with uh, in Ephesus. And uh, he goes on to say here uh, in verse number uh, 10, Finally, my brethren, uh, chapter 6 and verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the what? The devil. Uh, Satan, the Bible says, is as a roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That's the word that, that, that the Bible uses, is the word devour. And I think sometimes we get a mental picture when we read that verse that Satan is out to, to tempt us and to give us a hard time and to make our life difficult. That is not what the Bible is saying in that passage. What the Bible is saying in that passage is that he's walking about to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to destroy us. He, he hates God. He's at enmity with God. Everything about God is something that he detests and is angry over. 
And when someone comes to trust Christ as their Savior and put their faith in Him for salvation, Satan has lost the battle with that, you know, that person. And so he does everything that he can at that point to destroy the Christian, to cause that Christian to be uh, uh, not used by the Lord, to certainly not live for the Lord. And it's amazing to me how successful in the day that we live, Satan seems to be in the hearts of many Christians. It's amazing that we do not understand, after all these years of watching and seeing from Scripture, the way that Satan works, that we don't, we're not on guard for it and more watchful for it in our own lives. Satan does, does very, the, the same tactics. He's, he's not original. He doesn't change up his, his tactics. He's very, very shrewd. But he always does things pretty much the same way he's always done them. And the reason is, it's been effective over the years. And you say, Brother Greg, I don't know. Has it been effective over all those thousands of years? Well, it's still working today, isn't it? You go back to the time of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden to sin. The Bible says that when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, the first thing that Satan tries to do with Christian is to get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ and to entice us with things that are wrong. He'll make sin look awful pleasant. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Moses had a choice to make. When he was a young man, he had to choose whether to uh, suffer the affliction of the people. And the Bible says that by faith, that's what he did. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We find an awful lot in that phrase. Number one, sin is always pleasant, but it's only pleasant for a season. You say, why is that? Because Satan knows how to make sin look really, really good. You ever see an advertisement for some uh, alcohol commercial to try to get people to drink alcohol with some drunkard in the gutter somewhere, uh, laying in his own vomit and trying to, to, to find his way home? You don't find that, do you? You find a lot of young, energetic, good-looking folks that are smiling and laughing. Why? Because Satan knows how to make things that are sinful look really, really good. He did it with Eve. He made that tree look in her eyes very good when it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. He appealed to her, to her nature of wanting to be like God, to know good and evil. And then uh, if that doesn't work, because some, some Christians say, well, I'm not going to be enticed. I'm going to take a stand. I know what God's Word says. You know the second tactic that, God, that Satan uses, and he used it back in the Garden of Eden? He uses peer pressure. The Bible says that after Eve took the fruit, she gave also to her husband, and these two words are in our Bibles, with her. Adam was standing right there. He saw what was happening. And by the way, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Adam willfully took. Why? Because he, was, he felt, well, if Eve did it, I better do it. You know, there's a lot of Christians that see someone else in sin, and they say, well, if they're going to do it, I guess I'll do it. Why? Because of peer pressure. Maybe it's not enticing to us, but everybody else is doing it. Why not me? I think I'm going to do it. Satan has never departed from those two tactics. Now, there's two areas that he affects to try to get us to be enticed. The Bible tells us that Lot, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And if you'll remember the story, God had blessed Abraham and Lot so well that their crops and their, or their flocks were growing, and their herdsmen began to uh, argue and fight over who would get the best grazing land. They lived together under that household. And so Abraham comes to Lot, 
And uh, he says, Lot, it's not good. We're, we're kinsmen. We don't need to be arguing like this. Our folks don't need to be arguing like this. We've got all this, this land out here. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You pick whichever direction you want to go, <clears throat> and you go off that way and get your herds far enough away that we can still um, be in touch with each other, but we're going to be far enough apart that uh, that your herdsmen can be over here and mine will be over there. And he said, I'm not even going to let you choose. And the Bible says that Lot looked at the well-watered plains of Sodom and he moved that direction. We know the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, how that God came and, and destroyed them. Over time, Lot didn't just pitch his tent toward Sodom, but when we find God coming to destroy Sodom, Lot's actually living in Sodom. His family's living in Sodom. His family has been um, manipulated. I was talking to uh, a young man just the other day, and they we were talking about uh, the influence of uh, the public education system in our country today, and how it's gone beyond just education now. And they're in fact they're not even teaching education; they're teaching false facts and rewriting history and changing our science books to something that's false. And they're teaching young people these things that aren't even true facts. But it's become not about education, it's become about indoctrination. And the reason is they understand and they know that young minds can easily be controlled. And so Sodom is appealing to Lot, and he and his family move that direction, if you'll remember the story. So we get into the New Testament, the Bible talks about Lot being a just man. And it makes this statement, that just Lot vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing from day to day. There was an eye gate and an ear gate that Satan was using to influence the mind of Lot and his family. And it was not something that was just happening one time, and, and Lot was like, oh, I can't watch that. They put themselves in a position to have a steady stream of this and a steady diet of this. By the way, we talk about being careful of what we watch and what we listen to the places that we go. Why is that such a big deal? Because even a just man and a righteous man can have his righteous soul vexed. Why? Because those are the tools that Satan uses. His tactics are to entice us and to pressure us. His tools that he uses are the eye gate and the ear gate. He tries to make things look and sound better than they are. And so we get back here to Ephesians chapter number 6. And the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? They're the temptations that he brings across our path. They're the times that he comes and tries to get us to do wrong. Why? Because he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to make us of no effect for God. And so he says in verse number 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So when Paul is charging Timothy in 1 Timothy and saying, I want you to war a good warfare, he's not talking about a physical war. He's not talking about Timothy putting a sword on or getting his rifle out or uh, going out here and buying his ghillie suit and uh, being out here and, and training with the special forces to defend his country. He's speaking here of a spiritual warfare. He's speaking here of the fact that daily in our lives, we wrestle against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not, the Bible says in verse 12, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, 
Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. In other words, once you've done everything you can, then stand there. Don't move. Be firm. You say, Brother Greg, how can I do that in a world that is constantly changing? By following this book that never changes. When you put your feet on this, when you anchor yourself to this book, the truth of God never changes. Truth is not subjective. It's, it's established, and the Bible says in the Psalms, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word isn't fluid. It doesn't change. It doesn't bend with society. It doesn't bend with the moral uh, acceptance of the day. It is a truth and it is a moral anchor that you and I can stand firm on. I'm thankful I have something like that. If I tried to stand firm on my opinions and my beliefs, I'll be honest with you, there would be people that could cause me to question those. Well, am I right on this? Am I wrong on this? But when I stand on what God's Word says, I don't have to question it. Because God is never wrong. His truth is always right. It's something I can always stand on. And so he says, having done all to stand, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We find truth in God's Word here. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Can I tell you this? You know what the breastplate guards? The heart. You know where righteousness begins? In the heart. A desire to live for God is not something that is an outward thing that the preacher preaches about or the church uh, all has a certain level of righteousness that they try to attain and we all try to do it outwardly. It's something that stems from the heart. As we read this book and the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts on the inside, righteousness is produced. The Bible refers to it in the book of Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Something that God does in us, not something that we do ourselves. This righteousness, <clears throat> in verse number 15, he says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench... How many of the fiery darts does it say? All of them. This shield of faith causes us to be able to withstand in the evil day. Doesn't it? Allows us to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So in Ephesians chapter number 6, we find out what Paul is talking about to Timothy in Timothy chapter number 1 when he says, I want you to war a good warfare. He's not saying go join the Israeli army. He's saying don't go join the Roman army. He's telling him there's going to be a battle that's not with flesh and blood. Timothy, there's a battle that you're going to be fighting against principalities and powers. And that battle, that battle you need to war a good warfare in. Now, he instructs Timothy in this. In verse number 19, he gives him two things that I believe are very important here in warring a good warfare. He says, first of all, holding faith. Holding faith. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter number 15, the Bible says, Be ye therefore, therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Can I tell you this, that in order for us, you and I, to hold faith, there needs to be an anchoring, there needs to be an absolute certainty and a purposing of our hearts and our minds that this book doesn't just contain God's Word, but it is God's Word. Every word of it is truth. And if every word of it is truth, I can believe and stand on every word of it. I can hold it strongly. Can I tell you this? Not only do I, should I be steadfast, I believe this idea of holding faith uh, not only means that we are to grab it and not let it go, we're to hold on to it, we're to anchor ourselves to it, but I also believe that as we are going to a lost and a dying world, that we go forth holding this wonderful truth of God's Word. Being steadfast in teaching people to have faith in God's Word. I believe that, first of all, we must be anchored in it. Secondly, I believe that we ought to be holding it out to other people. When we go to folks, they need to see it in our hands. I I love telling people what the Bible says, but it's a lot better if I can take my Bible and open it up and say, look right here, it is. It's right here in Scripture. You can see it for yourself. I think it's very important. Paul tells Timothy, he says, I want you to be holding faith. Can I encourage you in this? Faith is not something that comes from the outside, is it? Faith is something that starts where? In the heart. In fact, the Bible talks about the fact that God gives to every man a measure of great, uh, a measure of faith. The idea that He even encourages us and strengthens our faith. That there are some things that will grow our faith. It's something that is done on the inside. Something that is done from the heart first. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Paul puts this first? If Timothy's going to be warring a good warfare, the first thing he deals with is Timothy's heart. Can I tell you, you'll never be the soldier spiritually that you need to be. You'll never be the one that's withstanding the wiles of the devil the way that you need to be till the heart is right. And then he goes on to say this in verse number 19. And a good conscience. This idea of having a good conscience gives us the idea that we need to live in such a way that we are not convicted about the way we're living. We need to live in a way that is a good testimony. A number of years ago, when Alexander the Great was conquering the known world, one of the great military minds of his day, he conquered the entire world and the empire that he set up, the known world at the time, and the empire that he set up, at a younger age than any other man in history. An unbelievable man. If you ever get an opportunity to read about Alexander the Great, uh, he, he, was, he was a very strong military leader. He'd go into battle after battle, and oftentimes, at the end of the battle, they would have some deserters from his army. And uh, the penalty at that time was death. If you deserted the army and they caught you, they'd put you to death. So you didn't want to desert the army. There was a a battle that they fought, and three men had deserted. And Alexander uh, came after the battle. They were putting him on trial, and as he went from each man, he was one to look him right in the eye. He began to ask each of them. He said, what is your name? And he went down the line, and he started getting on to him and passing judgment of death upon him. As he got to the third young man, he asked him his name, and the young man said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him, and he said, young man... Either change your name or change your conduct. Because he did not want the name Alexander to be drugged through the mud and for the conduct of this young man to be a reproach to his name. 
Can I tell you this? When we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to live in such a way that when people call us Christians, we're not living in such a way that we need to either change our name or change our conduct. We need to be living in a way that's pleasing to God. We need to be living in such a way that we're pointing men to Christ. When people look at our lives, they need to say, boy, what a great God they have. For God to take somebody like Greg Boer, and I know how Greg Boer is, and I know how he was and how he is. For, for God to take somebody like him and to make something out of him, what a great God. By the way, every one of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior could say that, can't we? We are what we are by the grace of God. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, I want you to war good warfare. He tells him in verse number 19, holding faith, I want you to be steadfast. Make sure that heart is settled. Make sure it's established. Make sure it is firm on God's truth. He says, in a good conscience, I believe that's dealing here with the life that Timothy is living outwardly. By the way, our life outwardly sometimes can be faked to where we look like we're living good on the outside, but in the inside where rottenness can be. The Bible talks about that. In fact, Jesus in His earthly ministry came across a group of people like that. They were called the Pharisees. And Jesus, in, in, in getting on to them, He said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. Because He says, Outwardly you're clean, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. You know, God is not so much concerned with the outside of the cup. I'm not saying that He's not concerned with the outside of the cup, but I'm saying He's not as concerned with the outside as He is the inside. And when the inside gets to be cleaned, it cannot help but have an effect on the outside. I can be something outwardly and not be right on the inside. But I don't believe it's possible to be right on the inside and be wrong on the outside. Paul tells Timothy, war, good warfare, Timothy. Make sure the heart's right. Make sure the testimony, the outward living of your life is right. Make sure it's a good conscience that you have. I want you to notice as we get down to verse, the end of verse number 19, I want you to understand the consequences, if you will, of not warring a good warfare. What does it matter? I'm living my life, Pastor. I'm not hurting anybody. Let's take a look at what Paul tells Timothy here. He says in verse number 18, that, thou, by them thou mightest, uh, that by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, so some people who are not doing this, notice this, have made what? Shipwreck. You know that Satan that's walking back and forth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? He succeeded there. Those that weren't warring the good warfare, those that weren't having heart right, those that weren't having a testimony that, that stemmed from that heart condition and a good testimony, there were two things that were happening. Number one, they were shipwrecking their own lives. But notice the way this is worded in verse number 19. 
which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Can I tell you this? Your life never affects just you. If you name the name of Christ, you say, I'm going to go out here and live my life the way I want to. God is a forgiving God. He'll forgive me. God understands my weakness. I just can't seem to help it, Pastor. God knows I'm weak, and so I'm not even going to make the effort. I'm not even going to try to live right. The Bible says that we can make others shipwrecked too. We can cause others to be discouraged in their walk with God too. Not only do we shipwreck ourselves, but it says also in verse number 19, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Timothy, be careful. You know, whether you like it or not, if you name the name of Christ, if you say, I'm a Christian, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, people are watching you. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus gets to the similitudes, and I've shared this before, He tells us that we're like salt. If salt has lost its savor, where would we be salted? He talks about us being a lighted candle that needs to be put on a candlestick and not hidden under a bushel. And both of those talk about uh, you can either be one or the other. But on one of the similitudes, he doesn't give that. He says, you are a city that is set upon a hill which cannot be hid. You name the name of Christ, people are watching you. You don't get the choice to be seen or not seen. Are we making shipwreck? Look with me, if you will, and we'll close with this. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. In preaching a message where we deal with how we live, that our life ought to be pleasing to the Lord. There's a couple things I want to make sure are very, very clear. Number one, we don't live that way in order to get saved. Never, never in Scripture do we find that. We live that way because we are saved. When we get saved, the Bible says that we are quickened on the inside. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, there's now a desire to live right that didn't used to be there. The things of God now seem to be something we enjoy. We, we like reading our Bibles now. We like spending time in prayer with God now. We like walking with Him daily now. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, as we come down to verse number 14, Paul says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. We're going to go on a little further. I promise you I'm not going to take a phrase and pull it out of context. We're going to go through and see the context. But I want to stop there for a minute. Because in preaching something like this, I want to make sure, number one, that people understand that the works that we do, the outward lifestyle that we live, is not what saves us. It is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us, and that's it. Period. End of story. The second thing I want us to understand is this, that when we begin to talk according to Scripture about the way that God wants us to live our life, our testimony before others, it's important for you and I to understand that this is not something that we do outwardly and not have a heart for it. 
nor is it something that we do because we feel like if we don't, we are we are uh, going to be uh, kicked out kicked out of places. People are going to look down on us. I've I've watched and I've seen as as oftentimes uh, preachers will get up in the pulpit and they will guilt trip people into trying to conform to the Christian life instead of teaching them from the Scripture about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us to accomplish those things outwardly. Now look with me as we get to verse number 14. Paul says this, For my fear of disobeying Christ constraineth us. Is that what it says? My fear of being ostracized by others that believe like me constraineth us. Is that what it says? No, what does it say that is the constraining, the motivating factor that Paul's speaking of here? What is it that it says here? It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. You know the greatest commandment in Scripture is this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. You say, why should I live right outwardly because I love Him? You say, Brother Greg, don't you want to make sure that the people in the church see a pastor that has a good testimony? I certainly don't want to be a hindrance to the cause of Christ, but if that's my motivation, then I'm not living the right way for the right reason. When I wake up in the morning, the way I live my life is strictly because I love Him. And I want to please Him. And I don't want to cause Him to grieve or to bring a reproach to His name. Can I say it the way Paul said it to Timothy? I want to war a good warfare. I want to hold faith. And I want to have a good conscience. Not because I have to, but because I love Him. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that He died for all. That they which should live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. That's why I'm living the way I'm living. I'm not living the way I'm living because I want to impress the membership of Keith the Heights Baptist Church. I love y'all, but really, it's not about you. And by the way, you ought to feel the same way. You don't live the way you live to impress Pastor or your friends here at this church. Because it's not about us. The love of Christ constrains us. We're going to live for Him. Notice he says in verse 16, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in... What's the next word here? Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What was Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, war a good warfare. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. You long to serve God. You want to tell others about Him. Hold faith and keep a good conscience. And do it because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live the way we live to get saved, to escape hell. 
it's not going to it's not going to work. If that's what we're trusting to get us out of hell, it's not going to happen. We get out of hell simply because God has given us His grace, and we've put our faith in it. But once we are saved, we need to war a good warfare. Because from that day forward, we no longer wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers of wickedness in high places. The devil's out there as a roaring lion. He's doing all he can to devour us, to destroy us. And Paul said, war good warfare. I charge you, Timothy, these are your marching orders. This is how you're to live. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Why? Because we love Him. We love Him. I've watched and I've been in churches. I've been preached at, made to feel guilty. In such a way that I felt like everything I did was to make sure that that pastor thought well of me. Or the people that were in that meeting thought well of me. And very little teaching on what God thought of me. Can I tell you this? We live for Him. And can I make this statement? We live for Him alone. That's it. Let's war a good warfare. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word.